Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 253, and this was recorded right before Christmas. I sat down with Kate Hastings and Josh Beal of Hastings & Company. Of course, when I say sat down, it means I Zoomed them, but you get the idea. Uh, Josh and Kate and I have been friends for a really long time. I'm super happy to have them on the show. They've been through some intense couple years. Kate lost her father unexpectedly in a car accident, and Josh lost his father after his dad's long-time battle with cancer. They were open and lovely about the conversation, really revealing a lot of their pain and their struggles and their accomplishments and their achievements. And it was just, it was a great um, human conversation. I asked them to send me one of their new singles, and I am going to put that into the episode so you can hear a little snippet of what they do. They're super talented and lovely people. They're just, they're a kick. And and I love them dearly. So I'm excited for you to hear their story and hear about them and hear a little bit of their music. Okay, in other news, uh, I finally sent out the mailing list that I've been talking about for probably months now. Uh, if you signed up for the mailing list on SusanRuth.com and haven't seen it, it means it's in your spam filter because I'm on my own mailing list and just as a way to keep track of things, and it was in my spam filter. So apparently if you send yourself mail, it's not really you or something. Yeah, and if you haven't signed up for the mailer, again, do that at SusanRuth.com, and you'll get the next one, unless it's in your spam filter. And then I don't know what to do. Uh, rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Super helpful. Um, it helps buoy the the podcast up and through the ranks of the very confusing and I don't know how the algorithms work, but somebody somewhere is pushing all the zeros and ones. And the more you rate and review, the higher up in the pile the episodes and the, the show itself go. So please do that. Check out heyhumanpodcast.com for the links page. Every episode gets a pile of links that I curate specifically to help you find more information about my guests and things that we talk about, books and articles and whatever, you know, random thoughts we may have. I try and go and search out things on the web and put them all in one place for you to make it easier. You can email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Maybe you or someone you know has an interesting story and you'd like to be on the show. Let me know because I read all my email. I even go through my spam filter, <laughs> obviously. Uh, also on heyhumanpodcast.com is the storefront. So if you are thinking to yourself, you know, I really need a Hey Human t-shirt or a tote bag or something like that, that's your place to go. It's safe and secure and it helps support the show. And I really appreciate it. Again, uh, SusanRuth.com is the place to sign up for the mailing list and also learn more about me and the other things I do, my music and my artwork and, and that kind of thing. Um, my social media, Hey Human Podcast, is on Instagram and Facebook. And my personal social media is Susan Ruthism. So pretty easy to find, really, I think, at this point. 
If you're into music, you can find me under Susan Ruth on iTunes and Spotify. So definitely do that as well. I think that's all I got as far as the busy work stuff. Um, Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling people about the show. And be well, stay safe, take care of each other. Here we go. Yay, there it is. Oh my God, can you hear us? Yes. All right. Sorry, it's literally like shit show central over here. No, I love it. Hi. And we are here and excited about being here. <laughs> Yay, I'm so glad. We had to tilt the camera up just a hair so I can see both of you. There yep. you go. So yes. good to see you guys. Oh my God, I miss you and I love your bookcase in the background. Oh yeah, all my books. Kate Hastings, Josh Beal, welcome to Hey Human. I'm so excited that you are on the show. We're so excited. Yeah, we've been wanting to do this for a while. We have known each other, how long now? A decade? Has it been that long? It feels like forever. I I, yeah, I think I met you when I was 17 or 18 or very early, very young. I, you and I first crossed paths. At least I saw you play, whether we met or not. I remember you were writing and um, it was I was so into like the female songwriter thing. That was what was eventually going to get me here. So I, we would always come and watch like the O'Shea's and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, gosh, that was back in the beginning of my Nashville era same yeah <laughs> yeah gosh those were the days huh those are the days <laughs> so where are you hailing from at this very moment where are you we on? are still in nashville uh josh leaves the 20 i leave on tuesday yeah and i leave uh, well i was trying to leave tonight but with the great covid debacle um i have to get a test before i can be around my mom and that's proving to be a little more challenging than I thought, which I assume everyone had the same idea as me, get a rapid test right before you go home. Yeah. So, joke's yeah. on me. Well, Josh already had the vid. I had the vid about two months ago. So, I, how was I, it? Fun. Um, not fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it wasn't as bad as other people have had it. I didn't really lose my taste or smell. Like, I, uh, things tasted a little blander, but it, it didn't last. That part didn't last too long, but, I, I had like fever for a few days and, you know, cough and shortness of breath and that stuff. So it wasn't, wasn't a peach of a time. Right. I had it back in January before they knew what was going on. And, uh, which makes sense because I travel so much in New York yes. and California and Nashville and Seattle, you know, those are pretty hot spots, you know? And, uh, honestly, I mean, I basically, I couldn't, couldn't get out of bed for 10 days. I just slept the entire time. Uh, I didn't eat anything. I just was out. And then the, the worst part has been the 10 months after. I'm finally on the mend now. But I mean, I'd never in my life needed an inhaler. And I needed an inhaler every single day. I was puffing on that thing like, you know, eight times a day just to get through the day for 10 yeah. months after being sick. And then my hair fell out, which is finally starting to grow back. Like little spots of almost I've not heard the hair thing a lot actually yeah. a lot of people have been talking about that um just randomly on instagram and stuff which i had no idea was like a thing but it's so hard on your immune system that obviously like that's highly connected to hair growth and your collagen reproduction but i was just like oh my god mm -hmm. it's called shedding and apparently uh and it would be like i would be sitting there and i'd pull on my hair and just 
piles of hair would come out. I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> I mean, oh, no. The other day, I it was cleaning my bathroom, and I thought, you know, I haven't cleaned out the drain for a while. Because I have a hair guard on it. This is way too much information, but I unscrewed the Honestly, little... I don't think it is because this, <laughs> this whole uh, hair loss during COVID thing has been fascinating me for, like, days. I've been on I... this topic. I swear I grabbed a coat hanger and un unfurl, um, you know, a, a dry cleaner coat hanger, unfurled it, took the plate off of the drain and stuck that coat hanger down. And I pulled up a monster worthy of Sesame Street and just put googly eyes on it. It was this heinous giant hair bomb. Oh, it's so disgusting. Like, if you're a girl, that doesn't bother you, but he's over here, like, crying a little. Yeah, well, retching. Yeah, I mean, I've been dealing with uh, my roommate does not clean out uh, his hair from the. Gym. Oh, he just murdered uh, his roommate on a podcast. Wow, been, with friends like those. I've I've been uh, <laughs> I've been dealing with that and uh, un unclogging the pipes uh, multiple times a year. Oh yeah, so. unclogging the pipes, whatever that means. So I lived with my best friend Ellen in Seattle years ago, and. I remember when we first moved in together, I would hear this strange whirring noise out of the bathroom, you know, after she'd shower and stuff. I was like, what the hell is that? How does she dry her hair and stuff? And she's like, oh, it's my little vacuum. So she would vacuum up. And of course I drove her insane because my hair would come out and she'd be like, get your goddamn, you know, she wouldn't say God, but you know what I mean? She'd be like, she'd not be pleased with me. So she, uh, so I was like, Oh, I'll start using your vacuum. She's like, great. So I have one in my bathroom now. They're so handy. That's actually little really stupid. genius. It sounds like something my mom would do. Cause my mom like lives back at the farm. I grew up on in Ohio and it's just like, for a farm, it is very clean. She's like the mom that goes behind you and cleans up everything. And you're like, uh, picks up the crumbs after you've. Yeah. And I'm trying so hard in my adult years to not be the reincarnation of her, but it's crazy how that is just so inherent. Now I've broken parts of it, but like, I see myself doing it to people and I'm like, Whoa, I am what I hate. Yeah. She's a mamba. It's like a Roomba only. It's a mom, a mamba. That wow. is her. Wow. Coin it. There you go. Especially since she rolls around. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. He just Let's, made fun of my mom being handicapped. Yeah. I heard, I caught that. Let's go back to the beginning of you two. You, so you grew up in Ohio. Josh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Wisconsin, just West of Milwaukee. All right. And how did you two, well, okay. Did you, were you both musically inclined as kids? I was definitely theater inclined but i spent more i was just so weird like i think i was just like the girl playing guitar writing songs but at that time it wasn't like a this is what i'm destined to do sort of thing i was just in a ton of theater but i was really 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 big into 4-h and ffa and it just like now it all makes sense why i wasn't cool but then it was somehow like for, I think I'm a decently intuitive individual. And it's funny that my entire life, I couldn't figure out why I wasn't really ever just like really in, in, in high school. And now it's like the very things that made me so very odd in high school are kind of starting to work for us musically. But I, I don't even think I was musically inclined. I just really liked writing you on the other hand. Uh, uh, yeah. My, my parents put me in music classes starting at 18 months old. So 
I know, right? <laughs> like everyone what? like takes a gasp when you hear that. Um, and I'm, of course, so you're like an 18 month old playing a trombone. <laughs> <laughs> Two yeah. Put that on yeah. the top. Yeah. No. Um. It, it it's the stuff you'd expect, like uh, moms with kids sitting in a circle, like counting out rhythms and marching and stuff. Like it, it wasn't anything, you know, super amazing at that point, obviously, but it laid the groundwork. And then when I was five, my, my parents told me a long time ago that they, they always wanted to have music in our lives. Like it, they made a point of it from when my sister and I were really young. And um, so when I was five, I started playing violin and played that for about three and a half years until and got like really far in the program that I was, you know, I guess it caught on really quick, but then uh, I, I guess I started insulting my teacher when I was eight years old, um, telling her how much I hated classical music <laughs> and didn't like any Worth of the, the music, didn't like any of the music she was making me play. And so um, eventually I quit and uh my parents told me you cannot just quit music. You have to play an instrument um, and you can choose anything except drums. <laughs> <laughs> Every parent says that. <laughs> and so I made a, we, we started looking around and I decided on guitar and uh, my parents were very conservative growing up. Um, we're not a big fan of rock at all. And so um, they bought me an electric, guitar and an amp combo but i had to sign a contract with them at nine years old with like initialing each item on two pages saying you know how often i would practice and that i would continue occasionally practicing violin and having like bi-monthly meetings with my old teacher and whatever and then the very what, what was it there's an item that was like Josh will learn flamenco, blues, jazz, da, 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 like a whole list of genres. And then the very last one was Josh will not play rock music. Like a little bit <laughs> of this story comes out on every time we have an interview, like a little bit more where I'm just like, who am I in business with? When you, when you say conservative, do you mean religious then? I, I, I mean, all, all, all of the above. So okay. like, yeah um conservative in its literal definition probably on all facets yeah well because I, you know i think oh no rock music i think of like katie perry saying how her parents were you know because she grew up in such a strict christian home and i would say like, very comparable i've heard her story and i i th actually think of josh and i's living experiences probably as the way we were raised very it's got to be similar to that story because i remember watching her documentary and, and relating a lot to some of that repression and some of and it's not everyone means well i we, we both have phenomenal parents and it's just that is so midwest and um it's we worked with a producer here and he was from new york and he was he's so great um he was writing with all these great people and he had us in and we were talking and he said something and i was just like no man i didn't even know who that was some some rock artist and i said i have no idea who that was until i moved here and he was like that is so midwest and he's like and i only hear that literally from church kids from the midwest that like i wasn't allowed to listen to blank insert the genre of music and so I think if you were raised in a bigger city, maybe, I don't know that it wasn't really that uncommon where I grew up to not be allowed to listen. I literally, uh, 
I would go and buy like a, a CD when I was in, you know, middle school, high school, whatever. And my dad would come home from work and he would, he would come into my room and we'd put it and we'd, we'd sample each track on the CD. And he would tell me, you're allowed to listen to tracks two, three, five, nine, ten, and 12. And I can guarantee you all the other ones were his favorites. <laughs> I did that uh -oh. picture like where some kids have Playboys stuffed under their mattress. You had, you know, ACDC. <laughs> let, <laughs> yes. let there be rock. This was Bono though. Well, th that didn't happen until late, late high school and getting into college, but um, where I branched out, but it was, it was pretty pretty repressed musically and it didn't even matter like the lyrical content mattered but my dad cared e equally as much about the how much distortion was in the guitars and how, like which is so funny because i'm like his band dad because I feel the same way. I'm like, <laughs> no, like I, it's like, you know, if you're going to play in Texas, you got to have a fiddle in the band. I'm like, if you're going to play in Nashville, there's got to be at least an acoustic in the band. And he's always just trying to like wail on something. And I'm like, no dude, this is not your moment to like become, this is not your rock idol moment, man. <laughs> Keith Urban gets pretty rocking, right? Oh, I know. It's now just become like a, an absolute like mo like it's just a she likes to hold me down oh yeah i hold him down i i like to think in a good way help me help you <laughs> help me help you uh, did did your dad ever say why what he thought would happen if you listen to that kind of music it it, it wasn't and and i want to be clear i like I love my parents. Of and course. I, Every and parent I, has weird rules and stuff I'm, yeah <laughs> i'm very I, I'm very thankful for, I feel like I would be musically, I would have gone in a much different direction musically if I just had free reign. Um, I, so I can see how it shaped where I went and I'm thankful for it. Um, it, it definitely stemmed a lot from uh, religious views. Um, I, that's a whole other tangent. I would have to like really think out how to. That's explain. a whole other podcast just for Josh. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, because I know that you were raised in a super religious household because we've had conversations about that before. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, but I'm always uh, curious. I mean, I find all that stuff quite fascinating, and uh, and I often wonder when parents say, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't, you know, even though they're saying you can, you can, you can about a whole host of other things that that in and of itself is so tempting for a kid. Mm. Oh, I think. Oh, well, and it, it's funny looking back because the, that guitar and amp that they bought me was, I mean, it was like a mini Strat and a really crappy little Squire amplifier. Um, and I remember I was such a rule follower growing up. Like I was trying to be the good kid. And I remember the first time I had a friend over and I brought my amp down to show him like this new guitar I'd just gotten whatever. And in the process of moving the amp, I guess I accidentally bumped some of the levels up. And when I turned it on, I had never made distortion come out of my amp before. And it, I accidentally like, started like it was really crappy sounding distorted guitar 
and I had both this horror <laughs> in my head, like, oh my gosh, I'm breaking the rules, like whatever. And also this part of me that was like, this sounds really cool. <laughs> I wonder how much of this I can get away with. And so my, my bedroom growing up was in the worst spot in the house, in the very middle of the house on above the kitchen. And so I would go up in my room, close the door and turn on my amp and turn up you know, just a little more, just a little more distortion and see how much I could get away with. And inevitably after 10 minutes or so, I'd hear my dad yelling from, <laughs> from down the stairs, like not just turn it down, but Josh turned the distortion down. I mean, is that oh not God. so interesting? It's great. This is why God created headphones though, y'all. <laughs> oh, I know. And right. And yeah. it's, it's so interesting now too, because like, I, I, we were both, I mean, we were both raised extremely conservative and especially in comparison to, I don't think either of us knew until we got here, the level of things we hadn't seen because you, that you have nothing to measure it against when your next neighbor is 10 miles away. It's like, they're probably doing the same thing. And then if you were lucky and you got to go hang out with one of your friends in the suburbs, that's where you got your culture. And I mean, in their houses, we're a mile away. So like, it's just, there was nothing to measure it against as that not being normal. Were your parents uh, happy about you choosing, both of you choosing to go into the musical course? Because your music is, I would say, one part country, one part rock, one part folk. You know, it's got a great mix of all these different genres because you're storytellers, which to me puts in the folk category, the singer-songwriter category. Yeah. But, but, you know, you get you get loud and fun and ferocious at times. And so how did your parents come to terms with that? Well, I think on one part of it for us, especially like, you know, we've rebranded and we're heading into our third year doing this together and doing the Hastings and Co thing. And I, I made a joke yesterday at the listening room. I was like, you know, weird band, weirder name. But like, I think I, really the whole idea, I was so blown away by Big and Rich watching them when I was little as like, that being a stage show and thinking, and you can even see it in artists like Taylor Swift now, and you know, like country artists that really took the stage show thing. And it wasn't just, it was different than the George Strait that I grew up. I went to a lot of George Strait concerts growing up and the guitar and the, the you know, one man band was awesome. But that just like what I came from a theater background and a farming background. And I was just like, wouldn't it be cool if, and then Big and Rich came along. And I just remember being like, someone did that like that was so interesting to me and i remember my mom being like not offended by them and so i thought okay this is like there's something to that and something Wait, I hold on hold on she was not offended by save a horse ride a cowboy <laughs> no and, and maybe it was because you know in that point i was like i don't know maybe I don't, I don't know. That just didn't bother her. And I'm thinking, okay, there's the loophole. And I really do think it's, I've never realized what big and rich did for me that it's funny now, but I, I don't, I went to a big and rich show and it, and a trailer choir show. And I don't really, it's only been in the last like year that I've realized the significance of what I saw, like the stage show was so undeniable that I was just like, oh my gosh, like I wish every country artist just went out there. And then you see like Keith Urban, who's doing the same thing now. And he just comes out and it's just lights, camera, action, guitar, boom, everywhere. It's in your face. It's all over. And 
that was not the country. We went to a lot of concerts growing up and really the most wild one I ever saw was Garth Brooks. And I can remember also being like, that's the type of performer I would want to be. And so there was enough wiggle room with my parents. I think that that was always going to be the thing. But when you talk about our songs, like I think Big and Rich is a great example of whether you like them or not, they went with the song they liked. It didn't matter that they were going to release Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy and then a wedding song right after it. I think at the end of the day, you know, they always say John Rich was like the song picker. He went through and he picked the songs he liked. And I think Josh and I both tried to really sit down and we're like, this song is undeniably who we are. Let's produce it the way that it's supposed to be produced. And and we've gotten kicked back for that and it's all fun and games and now it's working. So it can't be that off, but I'm, my parents have been really supportive and I, yeah, yours my, have been unusually supportive. Yeah. Uh, they, it, it's, it's funny. Like through college and then moving forward after that, I, I watched my parents start to mellow a little bit and um, things that I would have never have been allowed to do growing up, you know, then suddenly my dad was okay with sitting down and watching the Simpsons with me or something like, you know, just like random stuff. And so like over time that went in, in my, anytime I would do things that were more acoustic or mellowed out, he was, he's always, you know, he always liked that a little more, but, um, but yeah, they, they came to understand, um, it a lot. I also okay, like to think that. that speaks to the sanity of our parents because I, I really do. I think about this a lot because it could have like, we both had this very unique, what, what we believe is unique only now in Nashville. Like when we go into rights and stuff, I mean, you're seeing people like Hardy and even Luke Bryan, some of the early stuff where it was really this a similar type of writing. Obviously they were better at it and, and we're trying to learn and we're writing with all those writers now and just trying to figure out the far, you know, writing that small town experience, that farming, that, that conservative lifestyle into a song that's, and still making it fun. But like you, what, what has made me feel like our parents were kind of sane in all of it is they let us be adults. They were very hard on us, I think as kids and pretty strict, but as we've like, you know, grown into adults, they've let us be Become the exact adults we were supposed to become and I mean I'm I mean there are still things now where like my mom is genuinely I mean my best friend here in town we write together all the time and she's doing great now like Priscilla Block like we're just wild and my mom's always like man I don't know about posting that why is your tongue out in every picture or like it's just, I don't know. It's like, you know, there are times where she has a check and balance to it, but it's just like, I think she undeniably sees like there is a joy in me that has never existed. And part of that is the, like, I really think just being able to self-express and not worry that the person you care about the most, which in my lane is my, my parents and my family, like they're okay with it. And she's just like, you know, I, I'm really glad to see you happy. And that speaks a lot to, to both of your families that to have an upbringing that is more structured and and in a lot of ways stable because of that. And then allowing your kids to be the adults they are to become. I think that that says a lot. Yeah, I, that's that. I think that speaks like I've always said, because you hear our friends that's 
uh, like some of my friends back home, their, their moms and dads never let them transition into adults. I mean, they're still, you know, iced out for the same things that they were iced out for at 17. And it's just like, you know, at 25, you should be able to go into a room and, and maybe you don't know exactly who you are, but you should be allowed to be, you should have the freedom to be able to figure that out without your parents on your shoulder. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there's room for having rules and things in a household, but also understanding that a child expresses in their own way Mm -hmm. and are going to become who they are, uh, regardless of parental influence, because we are a perfect example are siblings. My two older brothers, for example, are so different from me. Mm, and <laughs> in some cases, astronomically so. It's, it's crazy that we even came from the same places and grew up in you know the same family. Now, they're a lot older than I am, so maybe that has something to do with it. But uh, people are just, they are becoming who they are, regardless yeah. of anything else. There's a lot to, you know, the nature versus nurture debate and more times than not, I see the nature thing play out, especially here when you'll meet someone's parents and you're just like, wow, like did not see that coming. And you're just like, that must have been so inherent to to who they were like from infancy on and the parent probably had to adjust as it like my mom always said you can never, um, my mom worked in the public school system for years. And she said the biggest mistake she felt like parents make are parenting two children the same way. And the thing is, is that that doesn't work. It will never work because you're working with two different, completely different brain systems. So the things that my brother would get in trouble for, I would never get in trouble for like, that just wasn't what I was going to go out and do. Yeah. Teachers talk about that a lot as well. The kids in the class, the, the frustration with having such large classrooms is that nobody learns the same way exactly. And right. so in here, these gigantic classes, and it's very hard to teach 40 kids when the, they're learning in 40 different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. Frustration. How did you two meet? Um, he was playing at a hotel bar. My parents were staying there. It was like, uh, there used to be picks. That was like a... It, there's a, a Best Western um, near Music Row. I think it's actually called the Best Western on Music Row <laughs> to just uh, go ahead and debunk that yeah. history. Um, <laughs> but uh, they used to have a, a little bar, just like a little dive bar inside with a stage. Um, until, I remember, I remember yeah, that bar. Yeah. Do you remember why it closed? <laughs> No. Well, I don't even know this. Because uh, people who were staying at the Best Western on Music Row were complaining that there was music. Um, <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. Feel, that feels on brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but uh, when, I, when I first moved to Nashville, uh, that was one of the places I played regularly. And um, I saw, snuck down and saw you, I think, and yeah. I found, found him on Facebook, creeped him, literally. I was like, wow, that guy's like, good looking guy, best guitar player I've ever seen. Let's go. I was still really young trying to figure it out. And you had obviously just, you know, knew the ropes, you and Austin, like knew a lot of people. I didn't know really anyone, but like you, Steve, the O'Shea's, I mean, my circle was very small in the beginning because I, I started working with Steve Walsh as soon as I got here. And so my circle was older. And so I never met 
like I never really had been a part of my peers or anyone. I didn't have any friends. I had mentors, I guess. And so that you guys were like my first friends in town. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that, but really it like, yeah, some of my, I mean, I wasn't even living there yet. So it was just like, I had people to run around with finally. And I knew eventually you were going to be an artist. It was just going to take you like a little while. I, I was dead set. I was not going to be an artist. I, I, I grew up milking cows and listening to country music. Um, but I got away from it in college and I could not see myself like being a country artist and long story short, I found my way back to it. And, uh, long story short, thought, thought I could just get by just writing. And then she convinced me otherwise. Well, I was like, why would you, no one's going to sing your songs. Love you. But look, it's a, it's becoming the artist writer world. And it really was at that point, you were seeing the like really big shift in Nashville of like, if you were not writing, like, if you were not an artist writing, it was harder to get in rooms. And I kept thinking, I'm like, why are you making it so hard on yourself to get in these rooms? I can show you exactly how. Let's be an artist. And suddenly everyone will write with you. And I, I wasn't wrong. Not wrong. But yeah. he kind of evened me out too. I'm crazy AF. Um, and you are always like, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> like you became the great balancer in the band. Like um, he, and he also w was such a better musician than I was. So it's like, I had all these wacky ideas, like who I was influenced by. And, you know, it was like just a lot of people with, I think the big stage show thing always attracted me. And I like quirky songs. Like I loved all the Brad Paisley early stuff. I think check you for ticks. It's just another way of saying something we've heard a million times, but like, I love that turn of a hook like that, where you're just like, I could not stop listening. And I wasn't even like, I was maybe a fan of the more progressive sound, but hit and he had such a classic sound, I think for really like the time he came out, he was pretty throwback. But those lyrics, I just couldn't look away. And I was like, man, I want to write like that. But there's such a fine line of being being able to be taken seriously writing the cheeky songs. Like the song has to be great mm. or you're the laughing joke of Nashville. And so we had a long process of figuring out how to be like the band that was maybe a little bit cheeky, but like the craft was there. And, and we're still about craft. Yeah, craft is everything for Nashville. I think Brad wrote a lot of those songs with Scotty, right? Scotty Emmerich? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, gen genius. Yeah, genius writers for sure. Absolutely. Fun, fun writers. Yeah. yeah. I think you have to, and, and it's absolutely essential. I tried to be someone that I wasn't. We went back, we were on a writing retreat with the two girls we write with the most Priscilla Block and Sarah Jones. And I just, I can't really say enough about them. Um, I mean, Priscilla landed at one of the biggest record deals in quarantine. Like I, I think that is, she will go down as someone that changed the game in the way that she approached reaching her fans in quarantine. And I, I really admire her, but that was very visible long before. And so we found those two and they were willing to take the chances on these crazy ideas and, you know, we just kept saying, like, it's going to work, it's going to work, it's going to work. And so many times people had told us, 
it won't work. Stop singing a song. Like, why would you sing a song called Thick Thighs Save Lives? Why would you sing a song called Brunch Drunk? And it was just like, and we heard that over and over again. It'll never work. You guys are the farm band. Stick to what you know. And it's like, well, I also know brunch. I also, that's like a great poor man's getaway. If you like brunch is a very affordable thing to do on a Saturday in at your local Applebee's like, that's just not that that's very, that's still what I know. And so it was almost like the more resistance we got, I think Priscilla and Sarah were so big about like, go do it. Just be that, be that band. <laughs> Cliche first dates, five star bars. When I'd rather go to Applebee's, he's never heard of Carhartt. Can't fix his own car, pays all the bills with his mom and daddy's credit card. He don't have to come for more money. And baby, it's all in his jeans. I want a man in a Canadian tuxedo. we've had the most success we've ever had in a year and it's come from just 100 percent gut reaction to things and letting some of the not being able to go into an office and write or not have a publisher maybe in your ear about you know how because some there's a danger in your publisher, they're great, but there's a danger in letting people um, structurally write the emotion out of a song. If not every line doesn't hit them, what we're finding, and I think what, again, to go back to Priscilla, because she, we're very separate entities, but she has single-handedly changed the course of our career, you know, like it, it became a thing. And so what she was doing was putting these songs on TikTok and letting people react to them and what what I think TikTok has done, I hate to say, but it has 100% highlighted the disconnect between the machine that is radio and the labels and the fan base because you're seeing Morgan Wallen and he's not saying anything new. The songs are brilliant, but these songs have been being written since the beginning of time, but radio is, has 100% disregarded them. And he's going on and he's actively letting his fans pick his next single and then watching it go to number one. And so I think COVID has been cool for bands like us that have that social following and that internet like connection where you can just be like, hey, like we were never gonna release a song called Canadian Tuxedo, but every time we played it out, it was just like so massive. And so it was just like, okay, well that that's the answer. It's not that hard. It's like your ultimate goal at the end of the day is entertainment. You can write a million songs for you all day long and you can sing them to yourselves. And I personally, I can be fulfilled. That doesn't have to be how I make my living, like only serving myself. Like the whole idea, I think that music in a lot of ways is a selfless act. You're not going to get rich right away. You're certainly going to work. <laughs> if ever. <laughs> if ever. You're right. So in some ways you have to like have something else in it. And for me, it's giving away. And if you could, 
you know, we were opening for Jake Owen and watching a song we wrote called SPF and just people's like, just their whole demeanor in the crowd shifted after that song and they were happy and they were drinking. And it's just like, what if the answer is just that easy? And it's definitely an arc in Nashville of people coming to town and seeing what is working for others and thinking, okay, I'm going to adjust to them. And then if they're following the arc, the way I think it naturally occurs, they come back to themselves and realize that their own voice is the voice that is the one they should be doing and not anyone else's. And you're going to sing the sad songs. Josh and I go in all the time and write the sad songs, but so, then maybe that's not the answer right now for us and maybe that's you know like maybe one will come along and it'll just be like boom that that has to be said we have to say this but we just we you know we haven't been there in a while and we we spent a lot of two the last two years pretty sad and I don't need I don't think either of us are like ready to go cut the story that just yeah. happened let's talk about that um the yeah. past two years for you two have been intense to say the least uh Josh, do you want to start and talk about what the past two years have been like? It, it started with it, with you, but like, I, I guess going back, like the other aspects of my growing up was that my dad had cancer for almost 30 years. Um, he, uh, when I was four, he was diagnosed with um, a rare form of leukemia and um yeah, he, uh, uh, I've spent a lot of my childhood in hospitals and going to the Mayo Clinic and uh, National Institute of Health in Maryland and all over trying experimental chemos. And um, I was homeschooled a lot of my life. So my, my parents would turn those trips into like, you know, let's visit all the museums or uh, while dad's out getting chemo, let's go to Washington, D.C. and, you know, explore or whatever but um but yeah it, it was definitely a a huge part of my growing up but um last year last may right around memorial day um he finally passed um from complications from that and uh but it it was weird timing because uh, obviously yeah you, six months before that I was home visiting just, um, it was like a time like any other, it was June and I was home with a, a guy I was seeing at the time and we were at his family reunion and my mom and I are super, super close. Um, my mom and we all are, I have one brother and we just, the four of us are thick as thieves. And again, that's, we were, we were raised in the middle of nowhere that, you know, we had each other and we have all had really great relationships. Um, my parents, like, I never really knew um, unhealthy love, I guess, until I was out in the bigger world. And I, my parents just didn't have that. We didn't have, we had little arguments, but we just did not have, like, we had a very peaceful household. And so everyone was really close and very communicative. And especially with texting, you know, and I was just at a family reunion. And I just remember, it, I, I very distinctly remember texting my mom about a pair of shoes that Casey Musgraves was wearing on a magazine and just thinking like, those are so lit. Like, and you know, normally I would hear, I knew she was going out to dinner with my dad and some of her friends, but I didn't hear back for a while. And then my brother texted me. He's like, Hey, have you heard from mom and dad? And 
you know, I text dad and I was like, that's kind of weird, but you know, you kind of put it off and you're like, whatever they're doing, what the, whatever they're doing. And then my uncle called me a couple, I had missed a couple of calls from my uncle and I almost, I don't know why, but like, I just knew then something really bad had happened. I had a sense of dread and my uncle called me and, and the worst thing about it is it's nothing like on a TV thing. They just said, I need you to come to grandma's right now. There's been an accident, you know, and I mean, it just, it makes you sick your stomach today thinking about it. It's like, I, I asked, did someone die? And no one could answer that. And that answer was an answer, you know, when no answer is your answer. And I just didn't know who. And I just remember driving to my grandma's being sick on the way, just this whole thing. And, um, my dad had passed in the accident and then we would later go on to find out at the time they had thought my mom had passed, but they were, um, and, and they just didn't know the status. So that was part of the reason that they were like, you know, just, just get there, just figure it out. And we got to the hospital and I think they had revived her three times. And on the third time they got a pulse back. I think the, um, surgeon that was there, it wasn't even supposed to be there that night. He massaged her heart, which is just like pretty unheard of nowadays with the way that um, they're from what I understand the regulations in hospitals. So it was sort of a miracle story, right place, right time. And my mom knew to stay awake, try to stay conscious. And she, she had known that my dad, she felt pretty sure my dad had passed. She like felt very sure of that from the beginning. And so she knew she just did not want to orphan her children. And she talked about that over and over again. And she, we spent a year in the hospital. Um, you know, she'll, she'll never walk normal again. She's starting to walk some, it's been like, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, just the year at the hospital. And she, it, for the longest time it was touch and go, she was going to die. She wasn't going to die. She was going to die. And then she wasn't, and she was not going to have any, um, you know, frontal brain use. There were just all these different things that they just didn't know. And it's crazy because she 100% is, my mom still. Um, and that's like pretty unheard of when someone codes like that. Um, so there were definitely some miracles, but it, it definitely put a hold on any big dreams that we had. Um, and any, I mean, it put a hold on everything you think. I, it has not been the easiest year. I got sober after it. I mean, it was just like such a whirlwind of crazy like I don't and in between him it was just such a mess between what, the two things what made you decide to get sober I think I just you know alcohol became it started being in the driver's seat and I like um it started being the thing that I went to I don't mean literally like it just became the thing that was like that's easier than dealing with um, and staying here became a coping mechanism, not going home. Um, and I, I only realized that recently that I've used that as sort of a coping mechanism. If I'm here and, you know, we've had this great year as songwriters, which no one says no one ever. You, this was an easier place to hide than to deal with. My mom's still very ill. Um, my grandparents, I, I lost my grandfather right after and my uncle, who was my mother's really significant father figure, male figure in her life 
during that time period. And so like, this was a good place to just disappear and be whoever I wanted to be, not necessarily who I was. And yeah, alcohol just became the medicine, you know, it just was so out of control and it was alone more than it was ever with people. And that is where I think it gets everything I read is like, you know, if you think you might have a problem, you definitely have a problem. So, and I think that's true of anything. If you're like, you know, do, do I struggle with this? You're probably struggling with it. And it just is my life just runs so much better without it. I think, you know, or it's unfortunately you watch it play out all the time in Nashville with songwriters. And it is unfortunately like the one thing that everyone has like, or a lot of people have in common and it's just like man if you already know you're so high risk just by being a songwriter like the percentage goes way up it just seemed just seems unnecessary and I hope to continue on that path but it really is like relearning a way of life especially living here I ironically do better at bars I'm good when there's people around but when I have downtime that's when the demons you know I'm like holy shit the last two years like they, I cannot even believe it happened. That's a lot. It's a lot to take on. Do you go to a program or are you doing it on your own? I've been right now doing it on my own. I do see a therapist. I, I've done, I've, I've done it. The AA thing. I like it. I believe in it. Um, I'm not opposed to it would probably do if I felt shaky. Like I've done, I've not stuck to that program, I guess the way some people do, but I definitely use it. I use podcasts. I use Really anything that makes me feel not crazy hmm. is a good thing. And I've also like really learned to lean into being really uncomfortable. Like it, and that is something that I'm just, I think I'm genuinely an uncomfortable person. Like I don't like how clothes fit. I just like, I just, I'm uncomfortable all the time. And emotionally I was just, that became acceptable because unacceptable because, you know, we live in America and you should feel great all the time. And, and I think there's just had to be some like leaning in to not being happy 100% of the time. How's that going? Do you, are you getting more comfortable with being uncomfortable? Yeah. And we've had weird blessings this year. Like, I don't know what it would have been like had Priscilla not broke. Had we not, I mean, we're going to have our first major label cut in this is all new, you know, and, and genuinely being like the relevant writer in the room that has never been our experience ever. And so you have this, and that's not going to last long, you know, this town moves so fast, like it's a moment. And so like, I can see how things have to happen the way that they do. I don't know that Priscilla, Sarah, Josh, and I would have been the level of friends we are had the accident and the death not, I mean, it brought us all together. They were our our people here. And so that has led to some of the most vulnerable songwriting, which has led to the best songs, which have led to furthering your career. And so some of it's been bearable only because I think, you know, the Lord like only puts on you as much as you can handle. And th there's always been like this thread of hope for us through all of it. Like you will get one big bad blow or a few or 15, but there's this like, undeniable gold thread of hope like we'll get some big huge break that it's like okay this person heard this so you know send that song there and it's just I think those things have helped because you can't just be uncomfortable and comfortable and unhappy like 
there, you know, hope is a big thing and it's a dangerous thing, but it, we've had a lot of hope. Well, Josh, what about you? How have you dealt with grief? It's such a different situation for Kate, you know, having, losing someone suddenly. And for you, this long process of having to try and come to terms with something that nobody comes to terms with really. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> sorry. We've I'm, talked about this a lot. <laughs> I'm trying really hard not to get emotional. Um, people have, <laughs> lots of people have been emotional on the show. I have cried so many times on this show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, not making any promises one way or another. Um, we actually, I remember when, when my dad was dying and trying to figure out how, um, <clears throat> trying to figure out how to, how to deal with it. I remember calling a, a friend who I hadn't talked to in probably a good year or two, but I knew his dad had passed a few years before. I remember asking him, um, how'd you deal with it? What, what would you recommend? And he said, say everything you need to say. You've got the time, you know, it's coming. So don't hold anything back and have every conversation you need to. And sorry. Um, I think that just really, that helped tremendously. Um, it was rough towards the end cause my dad wasn't mentally, um, there as, as things started progressing more quickly cause he had stopped, um, treatment and stopped, stopped the things cause they, they had given him, you know, a month or two to live. And yeah, um, but so conversations that would have taken, you know, 15 minutes took, you know, took an hour. And so it was, it was drawn out and painful. Um, and I remember Kate and I talking at the time, comparing like, what would you rather have like this long drawn out, um, pain or having it happen suddenly and not knowing it's coming. And there's a certain, it's, it's two kinds of hell. Um, and you, you lose either way. But yeah. We, we've talked about that a ton. I don't know that there's, yeah, they both have their, their downfalls and they both have their perks. It's so bizarre. Like you hate to say perks, but you know, there's perks to like sudden grief that, you know, as I didn't live my whole life in hospitals. So that's something I think about a lot. Like, you know, maybe that's the blessing. Um, he got to say things I didn't get to say. So there's just so many catch-alls that you, we very uniquely have gotten to go through together and our revolving door of significant others. <laughs> like, you know, it's been... <laughs> God bless. I think a lot of people you bring up significant others and it, it is, I think, and I talk about this a lot on the show is it, it's very hard for people. And you talked about leaning in. It's very hard to pe for people to lean into death, especially in America. We have a very weird relationship with death and mortality. Oh. 
And uh, that leaning in experience is, I, I find it an honor personally to be with somebody if, if you're lucky enough to be with them in those final days or, or weeks or months, um, because it's got to be terrifying. I mean, it's scary for us to watch somebody we love go. But imagine that, that even for people who are religious or believe that they are going somewhere, it's still scary. Nobody wants to go, you know, even right. honestly, the, you know, people who have uh, attempted suicide and, and failed talk about in those moments, they're like, oh, crap, what have I done that, you know, that when the reality of what it means comes into the brain for many people, they're like, nope, I remember my uncle was passing and and in the time before he died and all the emotions he went through, you know, he was angry, he was happy remembering all these memories, he was so sad. He was excited to see his wife who had passed just before him by a couple of years. There were all these things going on and uh, and Josh, when you said, you know, say everything there is to say, and we do, I mean, like, Kate, I, I'm sure your father knows and knew how much you love him, especially in such a tight family. And same for you, Josh. And it's just like this idea that we have plenty of time to wait to tell people, but we don't because nobody knows. None of us know. And for some, it's this inexorable feeling of oh the death is way over there and for others it's you know things turn on a dime we have to as best we can be present to each other there's this line in this fun song fun with the period you know the band and he says like i'm gonna paraphrase it but he's like you know he talked about how all his their neighbors and wives would someday die, but he likes to think he can escape it all to make up for the times he's been cheated on. And I think America has that mentality of so many, much has already happened to me that this like death does not apply or that sudden death doesn't apply, sudden tragedy. Cause I, I think we literally live where you're like, it, we have the, it could never happen to me mentality in America more than maybe any other country. And we're so out of touch with, like the fragility of being alive and emotions and, and the yeah. of loving each other and we we are so entitled and, and i bring up that line because he's saying you know i feel like i deserve to not have to live through that and that that is such america's like belief system like because i have done all of these things then this shall never happen to me and that's just unfortunately not the case yeah, it's been a ride. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad so, that you have each other for that too. Yeah, Josh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say all that to say that's why we sing happy songs now. Yeah, that's why we get brunch drunk. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I get that for sure. What uh, what have you learned personally about yourselves while dealing through this uh, concept of mortality? How is it reflected back in how you live your lives now besides writing fun songs? Right. For me, one of the biggest struggles, I, I'll go with the struggle because this is what I've learned about my weak points. Um, I am deathly afraid of people leaving. Um, I'm, I lost a great relationship during the time of 
the the grief after my father because the my tendency became and maybe my tendency my whole life has been to push away push away i know i knew i never wanted to get married young so there was just never this hurry or this like desire for romantic connection and and even so like friendships there would be such a wall once you're in you're in but like they're just very very arm's length and i have learned in the relationship i'm in now the danger that you put yourself in by allowing that tragedy to dictate my level of vulnerability and that has been a big thing every day that i have to restructure in my brain like today i will allow someone to hurt me i can still walk away from it but i'm i'm going to allow them far enough in that there's a little bit of danger there and for a while after the accident there was absolutely no give to that like there was like just i just have no I, i really struggle with vulnerability because in my mind it's not even you leaving it's that i think you might die which is very strange and if you leave sometimes it feels the same as dying i think that we've all been through relationships or the end of relationships friendships or romantic where you think literally you are going to die that heartache is the same as losing i have realized that anxiety that horrible sick to your stomach vomiting on the edge of your seat feeling i mean there is no difference for me between that loss of a romantic or re- friendship than there was with my dad it's all that sick same suffering feeling and so i wonder how long i've lived you know avoiding that since the accident so that i haven't gotten to experience some of maybe the connections i would have made so for me it's just like absolutely being alive and choosing to be alive each day without that fear constantly looming over my head um i think for me the, the first thing it, it uh, that whole experience gave me was i i got a lot closer with my family um it's it ended up mending some relationships um and just helping um make us understand each other a little better i realized that my sister and i uh being 2 years apart had experienced my dad's illness growing up completely differently because of how old we were when he first got sick and how much we were you know because i remember um being you know i don't know 4 or 5 years old and having my mom you know ask me to to be careful what i did when my dad got home from chemo and like try to be on my best behavior because you know chemo would affect his mood and and things like that and that that's a very formative i could go on forever on how that affected me and and in good and bad ways but um my but i i always knew in the back of my head growing up that my dad like who my dad was when he was tired and lethargic and you know kind of irritable wasn't who he actually was that that was that was the chemo that was whatever my my sister turns out was too young to understand that there was a difference just un- just thought that over the years my dad just mellowed out and um 
and was a little better, but, um, we, we had never had those discussions before. And so that's been, that's been really good, um, for our family. Um, man, other than that, just, um, being better about making the most of my time, uh, valuing connection a lot more. Um, I don't know. I think I'm still figuring it out a little bit. Sure. Sometimes I think we both struggle with happy. <laughs> like I, I correct me if I'm wrong. I don't, I definitely don't want to speak for you. Like, cause we are a duo, but we both have very different thoughts on life. I mean, um, like I'm going to see how late I can stay up tonight and Josh is going to see how quickly he can make <laughs> it to bed. Like that's just who we are. And like, but something I notice about both of us and like just reading before we did this, I was reading through some of our text messages and just like questioning our interactions. And, and we have, we do treat each other with a lot more respect than we used to. I think like sometimes you don't like the clerical things that go into being and like running your own business and you have stepped up to that. I don't like being nice when something does it like I, not even nice just i'm flippant like i'm just very like all right on to the next one you didn't do it right let's go and it's just like that's not how you treat the like someone that's that significant in your life but we struggle with happiness like these things and like and i, I hope we get to do the podcast later on because we've got so many cool things that are like in the works that really are a testament to the dumb slogans they tell you in nashville like find your crew waited out seven years like it's all been exactly what they said and we could it could not have happened any different but we'll get these like things and it's been you know for right now the, the big focus has been priscilla and and those songs and we'll get this like we got our first major label cut and the opportunity to go in and and watch it be recorded in a you know blackbird studio i mean we're trash like we haven't been in blackbird you know like this was a true honor this was like you know we're on a beer budget we were hanging on a champagne dime that day and like we were both so confused like the texts sound confusing we're like wow that is cool <laughs> like it was just like um, oh i get it when i got my reba cut when i opened the email yeah. and I, I looked i thought somebody was punking me honestly yeah. i was like oh yeah. funny haha ha. and i shut my computer and then i opened it again and i went oh wait this is real what yeah yeah right. it is very surreal to have a moment like that and it's even more surreal after living in that darkness for two years because you're just like I don't know. You just don't, ex you expect the worst despite yeah. knowing that that's not what you should be asking out of life. It's just such a human tendency to be like, that hurt so bad. That must be what it's going to be like. Yeah. You said something about being vulnerable to pain. And I mean, I think for a lot of us being vulnerable to joy, it's, it's almost scarier wow. to wrap your head around joy than it is to, because most of us know struggle it's to, to whatever extent it is we get right. it and uh it's joy that is like wow what is that <laughs> that freaks us out i've always thought and i i think about this all the time that hope is the most dangerous uh, like i don't is hope an emotion or a like I, yeah usually you and i are pretty good on literary terms like, but is it an emotion or a state of right. being or like i think it's all those but, things 
but having hope is so dangerous. And I think, I think back to knowing that as young as 17, when I, I was with a, I was with the same boy all through high school and I ended it and it didn't, and you know, go the way I thought it was going to go. And I figured we would get back together. And I think of how dangerous that hope was for me and how dangerous it affected my life because of how the actions that I took based on that sliver of hope. And so hope is like very beautiful and it's something you want in your life, but it's also very dangerous. Like having hope is scary. Like it might, because it doesn't mean you win. You just think you might. And so I've, I've been fascinated since the death of the thought of hope and, and the danger and it, the danger and the beauty, like it's this like double-sided coin that you've really got to look at and you're like, you want it, but it's also very dangerous. It's almost like something you, it matters where you invest your hope. Yeah. And it very much is almost like currency. Yeah. And it, there's nothing inherently wrong with money, but if you yeah. obsess over it or invest in the wrong thing, it becomes dangerous. I will say the other th great thing that has come out of this that, you know, we have been in a t more meetings in the last two months than we've been in, in five years. And the thing that you cannot shake us on is just about anything. If I don't know you and we're having like a first meeting and we're, like we're starting to talk, I don't get nervous about deals anymore. I don't get nervous about what you think of me anymore because I'm telling you, you cannot do anything worse to me than two years ago to this time frame. And it's just, that has been something I will thank my dad for daily because there is like, this brazenness to being like, no, no, no. I promise you, I was only raised on country music. You're wrong. And if you don't see that, we probably shouldn't work together. And that's okay. Cause the next person will understand. And if they don't, I don't really care. It, like, you know, it just has been, I feel like there's a fearlessness in you and I now that did well, not exist before. That's also an honoring, right? You're honoring who you are. And I think learning to honor oneself is a, it's a slow, tumultuous mountain climb yes. but when you get there uh it, it makes all the difference in the world it changes everything it changes how you interact with your family with lovers and and friends and workers people and bosses and all that stuff and yeah strangers. it changes how you receive your amazon box i'm not kidding you it like i'm I, like i treat people so different now than i did and someone said the first thing that they look for in a significant other. And I heard it in two different ways in the same week. And then that's when, you know, God's trying to, whatever you, you know, whatever you believe in is trying to really express something to you. And I heard someone say that they, one of the first things they look for when they're looking for a significant other is the way that they treat service workers. Oh, a hundred percent. I have always thought that to be like, I've always known that, but it's just like, it, that's so important. Why do we not think of that? That's so big for me. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You can tell a lot about a person for sure. Yeah. And honestly, just how they, in general, if they move through their life with a less than, more than attitude, it's a big red flag. It, yeah. It's all about how you handle stress, truly. Or mm -hmm. something going the way that you are not necessarily pleased of it going. People are... Yeah. Wow.
that's a song for another time. <laughs> and it's about knowing too, I think we all are on our own journey and it's hard once you start to realize certain things about yourself and the world, how you operate in the world at large, it's easy to go, Oh, you're acting this way. And so, uh, and, and not uh, fostering growth in someone else, which is also a part of it. You shining to, to choose the cheesiest metaphor, you shining your light so that others may know light over their own darkness. And, we can't expect anyone to be anywhere other than where they are. Yeah. But if we hold on to our own self, it's, it's a reflect. It, we can't help but reflect, right? That's just what light does. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's a tricky thing too, is to, even though I say, oh, if you treat a server poorly, there's no way you get a second date, but it also have compassion for that person as to why they're treating. That yeah. Person. What happened to you? Or just how do you feel about yourself that you need to feel like someone else is less than you? Because yeah. in real life, right, if you were to dig into that, it's because they feel less than. That's 100% true. Yeah. Yeah. How is it that you two never dated? I know everybody asks you that. You dated for like a hot second, right? No, we went on a couple dates. It, it was just a flop rat. <laughs> like it, nothing ever happened be beside an awkward side hug in a park. <laughs> which we will end. write at some point. That's like maybe like, awkward side, side hug. Title, yeah, because you know you know you're getting ghosted if you get the side hug. <laughs> that is uh, so funny. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. I just kept hitting him up like you're gonna play guitar. Love you. When you each take new boyfriends and girlfriends and things, do you, do you, are you a heart? Are you like what are you doing, or do you stay out of each other's love lives? I think we have a healthy. We didn't used to. It, it's gotten a lot healthier over yeah. the years. It's definitely hard. I'm under no illusion that somehow you know this is a normal situation yeah. so, like being in a super close friendship and business relationship with someone of the opposite sex and having and trying to date and bring someone else into that and have them be fully understanding of that is is a tall order we um, both had that go the wrong way well i mean clearly every time <laughs> um, but we've had some I've I've had relationships that were really not understanding and would never um, stop thinking that something was going on. Um, one in well, you've had one that was yeah. scary, Larry. Um, we are blessed. Um, but I I don't know. You two feel like brother and sister to me, though. Uh, your energy, having yeah. spent a lot of time around each other, the way you talk with each other and love each other, it feels more, <clears throat> excuse me, it feels like a deep family bond, like brothers oh, and sisters. That's yeah. exact. I think of him literally, I love him the way that I love my brother. And it's, I think the dad thing again, that was, it's so interestingly like there can be no way that there i don't believe in accidents after that like that we would have been in this journey that we would have stuck with it as long as we did that we would have created the name change right in time for that to happen i mean we were recording parts of our first single on cell phone notes and sending it to our producer in la because we were in a hospital so it was just like there were things that were just so chaotic um and it it's like that has helped me understand too, like 
I don't date a man if he does not accept Josh. That already tells me everything I need to know about that man. Like, if you're threatened by that, you don't understand me at all. So it's just move along. Like, I mean, the guy I'm seeing now, he's like unusually understand like he just loves josh like he's just always, he always tells josh love ya at the end of the call because that's what i'll say and it's just like i have a lot of respect for him as a man whether we end up married or we date for a few months that i have a lot of respect for him as a man because he's able to be like okay like you know i she is enough i what she says is enough and i trust her and what he says is enough and i trust him and i think that if someone doesn't understand or trust your character, th this is a really quick way to vet it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and other side of the coin, when, um, when her parents were in the accident, I was dating someone who um, got upset that I was driving up to Ohio so much to see her family. Um, Keep in mind, we weren't even seeing each other because like the room was so quarantined he was just hanging out in the like there was no there was no there were hundreds of people in the waiting room there was I'm, never like me and you hanging out yeah i i might be able to you know i might be up there for four or five six days and i might be able to see her mom in the room once or twice while i was there for five minutes um and i'd see kate occasionally yeah um but her the community up there like their family has um accepted me as as part of the family her her dad was like a father figure to me her mom calls me her other josh since kate's brother's name is josh like my mom calls you more than she calls me <laughs> she's like what's josh doing today i'm like i don't so it 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 was just there was no second thought like as soon as things happened it was like i i'm, I'm canceling every plan i had i'm like this is where i have to be and um again if they someone doesn't get that dynamic you know bye <laughs> yeah 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 bye yeah. upgrade absolutely how can people find you what's the best way to find y'all well we're always in camo so they'll never find we're us. still trying to find ourselves yeah <laughs> can you help us with this <laughs> no. no everything is at hasting and co it's h-a-s-t-i-n-g-a-n-d-c-o there is no s on the end of hasting and we went with that name because we literally saw something in co on an old feed bag cleaning out my dad's barn we thought what a concept and honestly it's funny because so many people told us not to do it but now after shows so many people will be like i remember you guys because of your name i thought you were a clothing company yeah that's also yeah very common because we have a lot of merch but um yeah and then our website is hastingco h-a-s-t-i-n-g-c-o.com and if people message us, like we're very, we're very, very close to our fans. Like, you know, if someone sends us a message, we're going to message you back. We want to hang out. Like we travel not as much, but we're, <laughs> we're getting slowly, you know, back into the regular rhythm of things. And I, I assume with what's going on with Priscilla, we're going to probably wait to release until spring. Um, so we won't have anything new, but we're definitely going to put everybody on the journey with us recording that song. It's going to be, we've been waiting to release the SPF sunscreen song forever and it's been on hold multiple times. And it's it just, the life of that song has always been so very unknown. And finally, I think it's ours. We think it's ours. And so we would love to have everybody on the journey kind of following 
along with that. And also just, it's cool to see Priscilla with some of the songs that we've written, just we're, we're showcasing a lot of what she's doing because as a songwriter, that's a great honor to watch an artist blow up like that. That's, I mean, like, wow. And I'll, and put, I'll put her info on the link page as well. Yeah. So people can and find as, her. as a woman, a, a woman that sings songs about thick thighs, like, you know, I'm, I'm really loving that we're getting to be a part of such a, she's unique in the movement towards women because she's not your cookie cutter mold. She's not going to sing the songs maybe that the label wanted her to sing and it's working. And so I think we're just as proud of that project right now there. It's, you know, as we are what we're doing and it's awesome. really been a pleasure. Yay. And when you guys come to California, you have to make sure I know so that we can hang out because I miss y'all. Oh, I have a list of people that I have to see in LA this year. Like it's happening because our producer, Tyler Smith, um, he lives in LA and it's going to happen. Okay, and we it. miss you. And you're a great interviewer. Oh, thanks. You ask the weird <laughs> questions, which I like. Cause, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to dig for this. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Uh, I love you both. And I'm really proud of you. And I'm excited to see you. And yes. I miss you, but miss I don't miss you. Nashville so much because I like the weather here much better. <laughs> we miss your weather. We will also be there for your weather. It will be five days of non-depression. Yeah, exactly. I love you guys so much. Love you too. Have the best Thank holiday. You. We'll talk to you soon. Merry Christmas. You too. Bye. You Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.